Welcome to the Doing Design Podcast on This Is HCD, hosted by all the world's best live design and innovation trainers at thisisdoing.com. This is an exclusive episode of the Doing Design Podcast, especially for all you lovely people who managed to make it to our very first Doing Design Festival, and we love you for it. My name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm the CEO of This Is Doing, and I'm the founder of the Human Centered Design Network, and I'll be your host today. For regular listeners of the Doing Design Podcast, you'll know that it focuses on all the behind-the-scenes things related to actually doing innovation in design such as design research, facilitation, prototyping, visualization. That's a great sounding board for industries like service design, UX, content design, product management, and this will be no different. We will be giving you three exclusive episodes for three whole months. I really hope you enjoyed yourself at the festival and found the sessions valuable and informative. The bonus session was with Adrian Tan and Nick Coster, two founders of BrainMates, APAC's leading product management consultancy and who are also part of the core team at thisisdoing.com. You can watch that video inside the This Is Doing community if you haven't already seen it. Now, in this podcast episode, we chat about the tension between design and product management, where it comes from, and the struggle potentially for problem ownership, and where the biggest expenses lie when developing and designing products and services, early dud detection skills, and much, much more. And Nick's like a well of knowledge on this topic, so I think you'll definitely get something from it. Lastly, thanks again for supporting the Doing Design Festival. Now sit back and enjoy the lilting sounds of an Australian product leader and myself, a service designer, talking about all the good stuff that we are interested in. If you have something to add to this conversation or want to take up a topic, go over on it to This Is Doing the Mighty Networks community and have a conversation over there with all the other members. See you soon. Nick, how are you? I'm Better. fabulous. How are you? Yeah. So it's evening time. What time is it over in Sydney? 8.28. Sydney time. Very good. So you're... And it's pouring rain outside. That makes you feel... W- which is brilliant. Everyone in Europe is like, you know, hooray at the same time. We're always delighted to hear when the Australians are having bad weather so we don't feel so bad in our winter misery. We've got, we got to try and put the bushfires out somehow. Oh, yeah, true. True. Well, that's the silver lining for rain in Australia. Nick, thank you so much for the brilliant bonus video on product management the title of it being product management is not a four-letter word. So maybe you could start off and tell us a little bit about the origins of that title. Well, we have a little bit of fun with it. But <laughs> in, in, its essence, well, in essence, the, the idea around it was to have a little bit of fun with, with the concept, but to really highlight the sometimes the perceived, sometimes the real tension between the world of design and the world of product management. Often there seems to be a like almost a, a tension between sort of who owns the customer, who owns the experience. And we wanted to kind of play around with the fact that product management isn't the evil empire. It's actually all striving towards exactly the same goals that in many cases design is, but often from a slightly different perspective or tangent. Yeah. The idea of owning the customer always amused me when I used to work in organizations. Typically, my perspective is that no one owns the customer. You know what I mean? But where, do, where does that happen in an organization? Is, is this tribalism? Do you think that's what's happening there? Look, I think so. I think it's also about who is kind of defining the customer experience from the business side. Mm. Obviously, every customer has their own experience. But if you have you know, almost too many chefs in the game, you end up with mixed results. And so the, I guess the idea of owning a customer experience is to have one key role driving that experience mm. and setting what that's going to be before someone comes in and mucks it up. Yeah. And I think there, 
there is a little bit of a, a tussle or a essentially an arm wrestle between the world of design and the world of product management. And I think it's almost more of a sequencing or a timing issue than any real sort of combative approach to take territory from one group or the other. Historically, do you think it's a case that design has always been kind of brought in by product typically and they kind of own the the design discipline, whereas now it's kind of design has been a lot more elevated in the last decade and we kind of have a seat at the table, so to speak. Do you think that tension is coming from that place around I think I'd like to think that it's coming from a shift away from sort of discrete project-led activities that define what products will be Mm. and focus more on them as an ongoing endeavor in the marketplace. I think over the last 20 years, we've seen a seismic shift in the way that products not only can work but do work. In the late 90s, you'd ship a product on a CD, and if it wasn't right, it was a major hassle to get it right again to fix it. So the, the very concept of what, a, you know, design as, a, as part of a project to get it right first time yeah. and design in a world of iteration and constant improvement is a very different concept and sort of almost comes back to that project versus product lifecycle thinking. Yeah. I mean, designers have been fighting for the seat at the table for, for quite a while and I'm doing the air brackets here, seat at the table. <laughs> but when a kind of push comes to shove, like if something goes wrong with that product, say in your instance there, there was a CD that's been shipped or if it's a service that fails, typically it's not the designers get into the firing line, it's the product managers. Is, is that a fair assumption to say? Look, it definitely is because ultimately the, the product manager is not sort of championing for the design. They're not championing for the amazing copyright. They're not championing for the process engineering. Mm. Their process, they're, they're championing for whether or not the product worked commercially in the marketplace. Yeah. And whatever it was that failed or didn't meet customer expectations, if it resulted in a poor economic performance or something that didn't meet its business case objectives, mm. then fundamentally the product has failed. Yeah, and the product manager, is it fair to say the product management then is the kind of person that's held accountable for that failure? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's kind of where the buck stops, and it's almost the nature yeah. of, of the product management community, which mm. is you generally work to protect the teams that work with you to deliver great results, mm. and you pass on the accolade. Yeah. That might be quite humbling or, or humble, but that's often the way that good product management is played out. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I might be speaking out of line here, but whenever a product really succeeds or a service really succeeds, design is very quick to take to Twitter and kind of go, you know, it was brilliant design. This is it's all about design here. And it's very rarely that the product manager steps up and kind of goes, great product management. Whereas when the, the product fails, the service fails, it's not really often the case that design steps up to that plate and kind of goes, well, we were, or maybe the research wasn't good or maybe the, maybe the product was in the wrong direction. It's the yep. product manager that tends to you know, get into the firing line. Yeah. Look, when product succeeds, everyone's a hero. Yeah. When the product fails, the product manager is not the hero. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of several instances here in, in my world that I, I, I can rationalize what you're talking about there. Like, So wh- where do you think, you know, and without naming names of businesses, but what does a good product management design relationship look like? How can they work congruently and in harmony in your eyes? I think a lot of the, lot of the core questions that design and products and certainly modern products often ask are really at the core of, of who is the customer and what problem are we solving. Hmm. 
think when product managers focus too much on building a solution in their own vision hmm. rather than solving a problem that is important to the customer that will deliver value to the business, yeah. then that's when there's conflict. Because I've seen many product people who have understood a customer problem, understood the benefit to the business, and then hmm. taken to a napkin to make a wireframe and say, here, build this. Yeah. And that's when there's you know, black eyes all around. When instead a, a product manager says, we've identified this, this broad target market, we want to understand them more effectively, and then we want to deliver them the product that they're going to love, hmm. then good teamwork really comes into play. Yeah. Because then everyone has shared goals and, and shared responsibilities. Yeah. The tension in my experience has come from identifying and owning the problem. And the good product managers that I've worked with in the past have not been wedded to that problem at the start and who owns the problem and who, who, who actually is going to solve that problem. Whereas further down the track, whenever more research, more clarity has been given to that problem, being able to shift away from that and move is the, mm-hmm. the key to harmony. Whereas design and research tend to get their backs up a little bit more whenever the problem is so static and so rigid that the product manager won't move with it. And it, that's the key to success for me is remaining as agile as possible to be able to solve those problems. And I, I know in instances in the past that I, I've had product managers who were like, no, well, this is the problem we've agreed with. That's what we're going to tackle and that's what we're going to try and try and solve and work with the business on. And they're, and they're they're kind of afraid to stand up. And that's where the design community is, oh, that's from my personal perspective of where a lot of the tension originates from. But in, in saying that... Well, I, I think if you, if you back away from that just for a moment, I think yeah. it's also very much... It's, again, it's, it's human condition for us to really not enjoy being a lot wrong. Mm. And so that adherence to, look, I discovered this problem, I must be right, in the early stages. If we're not flexible and kind of fluid with the potential that we were wrong to begin with, mm. or that new information can come to hand that invalidates our original sort of often very lightweight assumptions, then we can become fixated on the wrong problem, solve it brilliantly, Mm. And still deliver a poor outcome. Yeah. And, and I think that the, at the very early stages of sort of, of ideation, mm. people come up with all sorts of crap. And we need to be as vigorous at supporting an idea as we do have to be vigorous about trying to kill it. And that should really apply at every step of a product delivery process and also challenge a product throughout its life cycle. Yeah. And, and that gets harder and harder the more money and investment that gets put into it. But it's still product delivery is often the cheapest part of a product when you take into account the overall life cycle of the product. Mm. But it feels really expensive when you're doing it as you're watching you know, development dollars go down the toilet for an idea that won't, won't actually see the market. So where's the biggest expense then in your eyes? The biggest expense because it almost doesn't feel like it's a bit like that boiling frog story. That when you first launch a product, it doesn't feel like you're wasting a lot of money on a dud product. But mm. day after day, week after week, the longer you have to operationally support that product in the marketplace, particularly if, if the worst case is if somebody buys it, then you have to support the whole product of the one schmuck who bought it in the first place. Yeah. If several people buy the product, you're, you're even more stuck. And so managing a product that kind of half works for the marketplace is terrible. It's almost better if it dies catastrophically at launch so you never see light of day of it again. Hmm. But if that product continues to drag out and drag out, it's not just that it's a bad product and you can ignore it. It's a bad product and you can't ignore it and you have to support it 
and you have to continue to pour resources in it, into it to try and revive it. But it'll never be revived because there's a bad product in the first place. Mm. And so the relatively short term of, let's even we call it a year of development, a year of that product in the marketplace is going to drain far more money over time mm. than the upfront initial uh, development costs. The horror of actually shutting down a, a product even just before launch because you realize this is a dud is something that organizations are always loathe to do because of, you know, there's the sunk cost fallacy. There's just the, the fact that people don't like saying, I think we got this wrong and I wasted all that money. I'm sorry. Mm. And that isn't a product management or a design challenge. That's just a human challenge that yeah. we're all particularly bad at and particularly poor at in larger and larger organizations. No one wants to be publicly wrong unless there is a an appetite and almost a trained expectation, not to fail fast, but to be unafraid of learning quickly. Yeah, and killing your darlings, so to speak, early. And being prepared to kill your darlings. Yeah. But well before they become your darlings. And that's, I think, a really important part of the process of, of a product management process that gets skipped over very quickly. People come up with an idea and they love the idea. They can see it in their mind's eye what the future looks like. Then they mm. turn to a design team to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. How can we make it so? And the thinking around, often the relatively lightweight thinking, mm. but still the important thinking of, well, let me make it really clear who I believe the customer is. Yeah. Let's make sure we know who that person is and make sure they actually exist and I haven't just made them up. So dud identification is suddenly a, a thing that I'm, I'm thinking about here now as you're speaking. Being able to kill your darlings early before they actually go out there and you end up incurring all this huge expense and huge potential debt as well for releasing a service into the market that is going to have to be supported and it's, it's not actually going to solve the problem. From a product management perspective, what are the kind of key metrics that you're looking for in that early stage to be able to make that decision? I think the very earliest metric hmm. is to find, and it might sound almost trivial, but to find one customer who maps a vision in your mind's eye that truly and deeply has the pain point or the scenario or the experience that you think is deeply flawed enough that you need to try and fix it. Hmm. Because if you can't find one customer who, who cares passionately about having a problem solved, or you can see is stumbling over themselves in their current experience, then the likelihood of finding an entire marketplace for those people is fairly low. And so the problems that are often hidden in plain sight should be easy to find and easy to uncover once you actually open your eyes to them. Mm. I mean, one of my one of my is, and it's probably almost passe these days, but to compare the global taxi experience to what Uber offered almost from the get-go. Yeah. And while almost everybody would say, yeah, I've got a cab all the time, almost nobody would say they enjoyed the experience. Yeah. And so when you hear that resonating pain point in you know, local and global markets, you suddenly realize there's something crying out for a solution, but it just takes a, an observant product person or, or business person, or entrepreneur, or designer, or someone who is attuned to that sort of thinking to go, I think there's a better way, and then to go in search of it. Yeah. So it's that attuned to a better way is the critical thing that I'm hearing there. It's, it is a craft of sorts that being able to identify these things and how we're working and where we're working and why we're working are really important. Being able to admit to ourselves that there is a bit of a craft to this stuff, being able to identify these areas that need to be 
identified and discussed is really, really important. And I know from working with yourself and others over the years, the really good product managers are open to those insights and those bits of pieces that come back out of research that really help inform the decision-making process. And that, mm. to me, is what a good product management uh, slash design relationship looks like. Well, I think that very early stage, when you're sort of trying to find an insight that's actually worth going after, mm. the almost the practice skill or uh, mental muscle is to practice your curiosity Mm. to suspend judgment and to delight in being wrong so that when you discover something that goes against what you were thinking, you're going, wow, I wouldn't have thought that, but here it is everywhere I look now. Yeah. And I think that moment of excitement when you realize you've discovered something which is, again, hidden in plain sight that no one else has gone after that could actually be lucrative for the business and deliver a, a much better outcome for customers yeah. is a very exciting moment. Yeah, getting excited about the unknown is, is mm. something that I, I see in the, de- well, in, especially in design research, I, I'm, that's the bit in the community that I, I love the most. I mean, if your research is good and you're doing the same methods and you're saying, doing the same routines for every kind of problem, you're going to end up with a really bland data set and you're going to increase the chances of that poor decision-making process further down the track. So it's a team effort. And I remember years ago when i first connected with adrian your business partner brainmates and we we sat down and adrian's like i'm a, i'm a product manager and i'm like i'm a service designer and the two of us looked at each other and i, I swear to god i could hear the and the tumbleweed kind of in the background <laughs> like like who's going to blink first kind of thing and then we sat down in that coffee shop cabrito brothers and circular key and i remember kind of going actually, there's quite a lot of similarity between what I'm doing and what you're doing at the moment. And we really started to lay it out on the table and say, well, I do these things, and Adrian was like, and so do I. And rather than looking at the differences, we started to look at the similarities between the disciplines. And we were like, actually, you would do that one better than me, and I would do yeah. this one probably better than you. And we started, I mean, we did a series of talks on that as well. Like I can't remember the title of it, but... And that really is what it boils down to. It's a team effort and being able to work, you know, with lots of different disciplines, which is why the Doing Design Festival has come about. Like it's mm. all of us are got very diverse perspectives and we all work very well. And it's very rare that we'd say, I'm the service designer on this piece within the business. We're all just people with lots of different skills and what can you bring to the table and make things better? And that's where the Doing Design Festival came from, the way we've got design research and content design and service design and product management, we're all one. We're all on the same team. And look, I think what's interesting, and you might have a, a sort of a similar or a different perspective on the service design side, mm. is that from the, the product manager mindset needs to shift to almost bipolar opposites. Mm. So on one hand, you start off with, in, in a good situation, with, with nascent ideas that may or may not be valuable in the marketplace. And you have to be open to uncertainty. You have to be open to being wrong. And your mission is to try and refine that uncertainty to a point where you are delivering increasing levels of certainty back to the business. Mm. Because no product manager will get a business case signed off when they say, well, how much money will we make? So what? Bugger if I know. <laughs> That's not how you get a business case signed off. Yeah. That level of uncertainty is unacceptable. 
Yeah. So at some point you need to distill down, you know, the things that you've learned and the things that you know and to try and mitigate the things that you don't know to a point where you have enough confidence to proceed with an investment the business can summon. Yeah. And so the kind of the mind the mindset of the product manager needs to actively shift from embracing uncertainty mm. to trying to aggressively mitigate that uncertainty. Yeah. And in fact in the talk we'll talk about the the different roles a little bit that the product manager has to shift through as it as it moves through different stages of the kind of the product design piece. Mm. Nick, it's been brilliant chatting with you. Like people watching the video, if they want to reach out, you're on the Mighty Networks platform for this is doing as well. So you can ask Nick any questions or even ask me any questions on Mighty Networks as well. I'm Jerry Scullion. But Nick, before we wrap up, I want to ask you one last question, okay? And it's it's a personal question, so hope you're sitting down, okay? <laughs> if, <laughs> I've built this one up nicely. If there was one thing that you could wish that the design community could do better at, what would it be in, in, in regards to product management, of course? One thing. Look, I think it would be to recognize that while the roles work tangentially, in many cases. Mm. So they work almost, you know, I guess, per- perpendicular to each other in many cases. Mm. We are working to, if you think about them, almost as the crosshairs. Yeah. We're working together. We're focusing on the same points, possibly different parts of a product delivery process or a product life cycle. Yeah. But when we come together, we're all on the same team. Mm. There is no war. There is no battle. The best outcome for the customer will result in the best outcome for the business. And whether that's an internal customer or an external customer, the results are the same. Yeah. There's no benefit in creating friction, and there's only benefits in working together. Yeah, brilliant. Nick, thanks so much for your time. It's nearly bedtime for you, so if people want to reach out <laughs> to you, get in touch with Nick on, on Mighty Networks. And thanks very much, Nick. Fantastic. Thanks for your time, Jerry. It was really fun. So there you have it. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.